our church just completed a hiring process to bring Chad Davenport onto our pastoral team as associate student pastor, and we're excited to have Chad joining us very soon and, and the work among our students here at Wallace and at Cumberland. But whether you're hiring someone at, at a church or wherever you work, it all begins with a job description. Uh, and a job description is a, a document that will, that will list expectations of what you are looking for in a candidate. It'll list character qualities that you want to see in a candidate. It'll list skills and competencies that they should have in order to perform the job well. And as you are looking for a candidate, they'll, they'll submit resumes, and in the resume, they'll kind of share a little bit about themselves and show, hopefully, that they can do the job that they're applying for. And as you begin to do interviews and meetings, you, you're sitting down asking questions and, and trying to determine, can this person fit this job description? Can they do what we need them to do? You'll try to go and observe them performing the job uh, in, you know, in the setting to see if, they can, if they're the right person for the job. Well, in today's passage, we see Jesus reading the job description for the Messiah. It's a list of the things that the Messiah is going to do. And Jesus declares that he's the man for this job. And there isn't anybody else. But not everybody in his hometown is so sure about that. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. If you're able, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. Luke 4, verse 16, this is what the word of God says. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. And they were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? And he said to them, No doubt you'll quote this proverb to me, Doctor, heal yourself. And what we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. He also said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, while a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, and yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and 
Thank you. You may be seated. We're going to continue today our series called On the Mountains, where we're looking at these significant moments in the life and in the ministry of Jesus that took place on mountaintops. And as we just read, this is a a significant day in the life of Jesus. He's in his hometown, in in the synagogue in his hometown. He's declaring himself to be the Messiah there. And he's brought out there to the edge of the cliff, the edge of the mountain where he lives, to be killed. And as we study this passage of Scripture today, I want us to examine how Jesus fulfills these requirements of the Messiah that he shared with his hometown on this day. The first thing that we see in the passage is the distinction of the Messiah. He opens up the scroll, it says, of the book of Isaiah, and because we have chapters and verses in our Bibles, they didn't have, they just had a scroll back then, uh, but we have chapters and verses, we know that he's reading from Isaiah chapter 61, and he starts there in verse 1 and begins to, to read these verses to the people there in his, in his town, and he says in, here in verse 18 and 19, the, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so as as we study this passage, we need to think about the Jewish audience sitting in the synagogue as Jesus is, is reading this scroll, what they would have been hearing. Because when when Jesus stood up and and read to them from Isaiah chapter 61, they know that Isaiah chapter 61 is about the Messiah. This is a a job description for the Messiah. This is is the work that the Messiah is going to do. This is a prophecy about the Savior who's going to come that that the Father had promised had promised to his people that's going to come and to save them, to proclaim good news to the poor, to release the captives and restore sight to the blind, and to set free the oppressed, to declare the year of Jubilee, the favorable year of the Lord. And when they heard a passage like this, it stirred their hearts and they were excited that the Messiah was going to come, that he would do these things. They couldn't wait that the that the Savior would come and do just that. And as we read this passage of Scripture, we gain insight into the ministry of Jesus. Because everything that he lists here and from Isaiah chapter 61, Jesus does. As you read through the Gospels, you see him doing all of these things. He's fulfilling all of these expectations, all of these requirements of the Messiah to come. We also see as we read in the verses surrounding this passage that that everything that Jesus does is in the power and in the leading of the Spirit of God. In Luke's gospel especially, he says over and over again how Jesus was led by the Spirit, how Jesus was empowered by the Spirit, how Jesus was compelled by the Spirit. Whatever your translation says, it all means the same thing, that, that the Spirit of God was being uh, was was filling Christ and he was being used by the spirit of God. And for example in, in Luke chapter 4 verse 1 it says Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit. He was led out 
by the Spirit in the wilderness, which is where he was tempted. If you look there in verse 14, it says Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. And so the Spirit is guiding each and every step along the way. This is an anointed, appointed time for Jesus as he comes to his hometown. And he says here in verse 18 that the Spirit of the Lord is on me and he has anointed me to preach the good news. He says, this is, this is why I am here teaching in my hometown. Now, presumably, this would have been the synagogue where Jesus would have attended growing up as a boy. This is, this is his church family, to put it in, in our terms. He's at his home church, and he's, he's reading from the scroll here in Isaiah chapter 61, and he says, I'm anointed to preach the good news. That's why he's... That's why Jesus is here to begin with. He's, he's come down to, to suffer and to die in our place, to make the way of salvation for lost mankind. And everything that he does is pointed to that gospel. And when you read the rest of the Isaiah passage there, it, it's listing all the implications of this gospel proclamation. That it's, it's for the poor, it's, it's even for the downtrodden and the least of these. It's good news that's freely given so that it's accessible to everyone who would trust in Christ. This, this gospel is about restoration. It's bringing healing and physical restoration. As God is preparing a place for us where there's no pain or suffering or, or blindness, a place where we have glorified bodies. He shows us here that this gospel brings us freedom and joy as God is setting us free from sin and death, that we're no longer captives, that we're no longer oppressed, but instead we're now joint heirs in the kingdom of God. And so this is Jesus' mission, to make this picture a reality, to bring it all to fruition. This was his purpose to bring us back into fellowship with God. And as followers of Jesus, you and I are emulating, imitating the ministry of Christ. His purpose is our purpose. And so we need to do what Jesus did. We need, we need to preach the gospel. We need to share this good news, this hope. Everything that we do ought to be centered around this gospel because this is the gospel that we have received. This gospel has changed us, and this gospel must be proclaimed by us. And so if we we're going to write a, a job description for us, it would look a lot like that as followers of Jesus. It would say they're preaching the gospel. They're, they're making disciples it would say that they were led by the Spirit. Just like it says of Jesus over and over again. If I was going to describe my life or describe your life, would it say that he was led by the Spirit? Would it say that everything that she said, everything that she did was centered around the gospel? Because that's, that's what Jesus did. 
all, all of his ministry to the sick and to the hurting, all of his work for the underprivileged and the oppressed, all of it is coupled with the gospel and the hope of the gospel. And in a world that's torn asunder with racism and with riots, we need the gospel of Jesus. In a world that's hurting and lonely and afraid from pandemic, we need the gospel of Jesus. In a world where every single one of us has sinned against our great God, we must preach the gospel because it's the power of God and the salvation for all who believe. This has to be the core of who we are and of what we do. After Jesus read this passage, he, he sat down, it says, and everyone was staring at him. It says that their eyes were fixed on him. So you get the picture. The, the place is packed with people, and Jesus reads the scroll, and everybody's eyes are just staring at him. They don't know what to do because in verse 21 he says, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Now, I just told you what Isaiah 61 meant to them. Isaiah 61 is the job description for the Messiah. And when Jesus says to them all of a sudden that this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing today, there would have been gasps all over the synagogue. And then dead silence as people's mouths were wide open. The only sound would have been the, the crumbling of the paper of the scroll as Jesus was rolling it back up and giving it to the attendant. And the weight of Jesus' words would have sat heavy over this crowd. Where he is saying to them, I am this word made flesh today. This passage is referring to me. And you go, well, I mean... Did they understand Jesus when he said that? Did they really get it? Did they know what he meant when he said that? They were not confused at all about what Jesus said. How do I know that? Because of the denial of the Messiah. The reaction of the people is, is rejection. They understood what he said because they immediately reacted against it. The denials began instantaneously. In verse 22, it says that they were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, isn't this Joseph's son? They were all speaking well, it says. They all thought, well, we're proud of this young man. Grew up here in Nazareth. He's one of our boys. Doing a good job reading Isaiah's scroll today. He pronounced all the words the right way. We're, he's, he's doing such a good job. We're so proud of him. All these things that he's saying about healing and blessing and freedom and all, all that sounds great. Until Jesus said, this scripture today has been fulfilled in your presence. And all of a sudden they said, whoa, wait a minute. Isn't this Joseph's son? Who does this guy think he is? Today this has been fulfilled in our hearing? Seriously? 
this Messiah is not what they expected. Carpenter's son from Nazareth. One of the disciples asked the question, has anything good come from Nazareth? They said, we saw this man when he was a boy in our village. I mean, I have a table and chairs that he built back at my house. Uh, Who does he think that he is? And you may be just like these people. Jesus isn't really at all what you expected. You have doubts about Jesus being the Savior. Could all of this that we read in the Bible, is could all this really be true? The Gospels and all the historical accounts of the first century confirm these claims of Jesus. But it wasn't just that he wasn't what they expected. He wasn't what they wanted either. In verse 23, they say to him, or he says to them, no doubt you'll quote this proverb to me, doctor, heal yourself. What we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. And so Jesus saying this to them shows us that he was obviously feeling their doubts. He, 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 could, he could tell that the crowd was, was having a lot of doubts here. And what they're implying here is that all of these rumors that we've heard about Jesus, that he you know, heals the blind and makes the lame to walk, all these things that we've heard about, all that happened down at Capernaum. That didn't happen here. So why don't you do something here? Why don't you do something now, Jesus? Go ahead, do something, do something cool right here. Make, turn these rocks into bread. Make something disappear. Poof something. Come on, Jesus, do something neat here for us. I mean, if this is who you really are, then, then show us. We want a Savior that answers to our beck and call. We want a Savior that does what we say. In verse 24, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Maybe we're a lot like these people. Jesus isn't really what you want. You want a Savior that's going to do what you ask. You want a Savior that's going to do what you say, give you what you want. You want a Christianity without any suffering. You want a Christianity without any sacrifice. You, You want the world and Jesus too. Jesus and this gospel isn't really what you were looking for. So does Jesus cave in to all of their doubts and all of their denial? No. He pushes them even further. But the third thing that we see in our passage are the disciples of the Messiah. Jesus, he, he compares the, this present people at this time to generations past who had denied the prophets of God and who had suffered as a result of it. In verse 25, he says, There were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. But Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. 
In the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, and yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. And so he's explaining who his disciples truly are. He says, those who hear my words and do them. He says, those are the ones who are my brothers and sister and mother. They're the ones that are really my disciples. And so after he says this, the people go absolutely crazy. Verse 28, it says the synagogue was enraged. And so what is it that Jesus says here that was so terrible? I mean, what is it that he says in verses 25 through 27 that made everybody so angry? When both the case of Elijah and of Elisha, Jesus is pointing out that there were many people in Israel that were saying the same thing that these people are saying. Do something in our midst. Do something here. There were plenty of widows in Israel, but Elijah went to Zarephath outside of the promised land. There were plenty of lepers in Israel, but Elisha went to the Syrian. And so what Jesus is saying is that because of the faithlessness of the Israelites, God performed these miracles outside of Israel. God worked among the Gentiles. And this infuriated the Jews in the synagogue. I mean, how, how dare Jesus suggest that God would overlook his chosen covenant people and work among these Gentile dogs. And it's a reminder that if we won't hear and heed the word of God, then he'll go somewhere that will. And what Jesus is implying is that the passage that he had read from Isaiah chapter 61, the passage about the work of the Messiah, the preaching of the gospel, would also go out to the Gentiles because the people of his own hometown, his own people, would reject him. And this angry mob drove Jesus out of the synagogue, out of the city, to the top of what's called Mount Precipice to the mountain that you see here in this picture. And they attempted to throw him down off of the cliff. And in doing so, they were fulfilling the statement that Jesus had just made. I mean, they were, they were literally at this moment rejecting the prophet and priest and king, the son of God who had come down to the earth to save them to preach the gospel, and to proclaim this favorable year of the Lord. They're ready to just kill him. And there's a stark contrast here between the last two weeks that we've been studying on the mountain. As Jesus is heading up from Jerusalem up to Galilee, to Nazareth, he stops in in Samaria and meets a woman there at the well, a Samaritan woman at the well, a really bad reputation Samaritan woman at the well, and she's all too happy to receive this gospel. And she tells everybody in her town about it, and it says that the whole village believed in Jesus, this Samaritan village, the whole village believed in Jesus. And yet here he is now in his hometown sharing the gospel, and they're rejecting him, trying to kill him. 
It's like John says, he, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. And each and every one of us has this same opportunity to respond to the gospel. You can receive this gospel, be forgiven of your sins, whitewashed clean, and made right with God, become a disciple of Christ, or you can reject this gospel and say, I don't want this, I don't need this, I don't believe this, and you'll face the punishment for your own sin, which is death and eternity in hell separated from God. end of the passage in verse 30 it says he passed right through the crowd and he went on his way they don't give us details of how that happened he's got this mob around him and somehow he just walks right through them and out and I think it's because his time of his fulfillment had not yet come he still had a lot of work to do he's still going to go to the cross he's still going to go to the grave and on the third day the stone's going to roll away and he's going to walk out alive He's still going to do all that's prophesied in Isaiah chapter 61. But it's interesting, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 61 and turn there in your Bibles, Jesus stopped right in the middle of the passage. If you look in Isaiah chapter 61, beginning in verse 1, this is where Jesus began reading. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Luke says at that point he stopped and he rolled up the scroll and gave it to the attendant. But if you keep reading the next words, this is what it says. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance. To comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and festive oil instead of mourning and splendid clothes instead of despair and they'll be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him why did he stop right where he did because it wasn't time for him to do the rest of it yet the first time that Jesus came he, he came to declare the, the year of favor he came to, to for purpose of salvation to die on the cross to atone for our sins the next time that Jesus comes back he's going to do the rest of that he's going to declare the day of God's vengeance the day of judgment where he's going to judge the living and the dead and the decision that we make the response that we make to this gospel is really going to matter he says that when he when he comes he's going to, for those who, who mourn, he's going to comfort them. He's going to grant to them Zion. He's, they're going to receive a victor's garland instead of ashes and anointing oil instead of mourning and praise instead of fainting. And they'll become disciples of Jesus. But to those who reject Christ, they'll be judged. And so now comes the time of decision. There may be some here this morning who are at this crossroads and you have to determine how you're going to respond to this good news that Jesus is anointed to preach that I have shared with you this morning that Jesus loves you 
that he came to this earth and died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. He died in your place and was put in your grave. On the third day, he arose from the dead, showing us that he's the victor, that he has conquered sin and death and hell for all who would trust in him, and that by placing our faith in him and in what he's done for us, that we can be forgiven of our sins and cleansed and made right with God again and reconciled to him. You can receive all the things that he talks about here in this passage of Scripture. You have to choose to put your trust in Christ and receive this gift of God. And so in a moment, we're going to have a time of response, and we're going to be standing and singing, and if this is a decision that you want to make in your heart, then I want to ask you to step out into the aisle and head to the back of the sanctuary. There's going to be pastors and leaders there at the back that will be there to talk with you and to, to pray with you about what it means to, to know Jesus and to follow after him as the Lord and Savior of your life. If that's a decision that you need to make today, I want to encourage you just, as soon as we start singing, just step out and go. There might be some that are tuned in online today. And if this is a decision that you want to make in your heart, then text the word DECIDE to the number 865-234-3241. Those in the room, you can do the same thing. Text the word DECIDE, and we'll get back with you and talk with you about this decision that you want to make today to follow after the Lord. Christians, today, as we think about this passage of Scripture, we've been challenged to preach the gospel. That this is core to who we are and to what we are to be about. Even to people that don't look like us and aren't like us. To walk in the power of the Spirit and do the ministry of the, of the Lord. So maybe today as you are thinking about how this passage applies to your heart, maybe you want to spend some time in prayer at your seat or even here at this altar praying to the Lord to say, I want to I be one that would walk in the power of the Spirit. I want to be one that's, whose life is centered around the gospel, who's proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, who's living it out every day, and to make that commitment to the Lord. However God is speaking to your heart today, now's the time for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. So let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed.